Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. If you have a Bible, open it with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Today we're going to finish our series in the book of John. We've been in it for 26 weeks. Um, I've really enjoyed studying this book. I hope that you have as well. Next week we're going to jump into the book of Jeremiah for the summer. And uh, so that'll be a lot of fun too. I love preaching the Old Testament. And so Jeremiah should be a lot of fun. So John chapter 21 is where we are today. As you turn in there, anybody have a life verse you know what I'm talking about? Where people will have like a, a verse that they call their life verse. I've never had one of those, really. Um, I have a few, I guess, uh, favorite type of verses or something like that. But typically, it's whatever we're studying and whatever I'm preaching. It's like, that's my favorite text now. I, I love this, you know, because that's the one that I'm in. But this week, studying for this sermon, I found my life verse. It's John 21.3. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. I love it. I love that, man. I'm going to get that tattooed, you know, like I'm going, I'm going fishing. And so that's my new life verse. Um, I, I wish that whoever put the verse numbers in would have just left it at that, but it goes on and says, but they caught nothing all day. And so I can't like, I mean, sometimes it does apply for sure. Uh, this past, uh, well, just two days ago on Friday, I applied my life verse. I told Abby, Hey, John 21, three, and I'm going fishing. And so I went to Crooked Creek um, on Friday with, with some guys on staff here at the church. And we went to fish for smallmouth. And we caught quite a few. I caught the most, but that's not important. And um, so we went to go fish. But uh, whenever we first put our kayaks in and we had just started fishing, I immediately hooked on to a big fish. And I was really excited. It was fighting really hard. And then I could finally see what it was. And it was a big alligator gar. You know what I'm talking about? Those things are nasty. They're gross. They got the long mouth like an alligator, the teeth everywhere. You don't want to catch an alligator gar. And um, it, so I was like, man, what am I supposed to do with this? It's rolling around like alligators do. Um, and so it's just tied up in my line at this point. It's got all of the treble hooks just stuck in it somewhere. And somehow I had a fishing pole sticking off the front of my kayak with another lure kind of hanging down a little bit. Somehow this thing flops up and gets hooked in that fishing line. So now I've caught the fish twice and it's just rolling around all over the place. It's just a giant mess. I finally paddle over to the bank, get all the hooks out. And somehow I had to cut off both lines on both fishing poles off one fish. I don't even know how that happens. You know, that's never happened to me before ever. And I just thought I'd really like to not do that again. You know, really hope the rest of the day doesn't go like this. I wish, wish I could just go back five minutes and not throw in right here, right? It'd be nice sometimes to kind of have what, what you might call a do-over button, you know? I forget which, uh, which company it was uh, a few years ago that had the easy button. Was it Staples? Staples had the easy button. I think it'd be nice to have a do-over button, just like this button that you could hit whenever you, you know, do something ridiculous or, or say something awkward or trip over your own feet, um, something like that, right? We've all had moments, where a do-over button would be, would be nice to have, right? 
On a more serious note, have you ever experienced a moment in your life that, that you wish that you could erase? Like a moment of regret or embarrassment or guilt, right? Just this moment that happened and you just even, maybe it's years later, like you just still can't seem to shake it, right? We've all been there. We've all felt the sting of failure and the weight of our mistakes. And if there's one person who truly understands what I'm talking about here, it's the disciple named Peter, right? Peter was impulsive, he was passionate, but he made a pretty big, big mistake. And today what we're gonna see as we finish our study of the book of John, we're gonna look at the restoration of Peter. So what you need to know is, is a couple of weeks before the crucifixion took place, Jesus actually told his disciples that he was gonna be crucified. And Peter spoke up and he says, no, that's not gonna happen. I'll, I'll go and I'll die with you. And Jesus says, will you really? Actually, you're gonna deny me three times and then you're gonna hear a rooster crow, you know? And, and so fast forward to the betrayal scene of, uh, of Jesus and he's been betrayed and captured and he's put on trial, standing outside of where the trial is taking place in the courtyard. It's a cold night, it's chilly outside and standing around a fire, it happens. Peter denies Jesus three times. And immediately it says that he hears a, a rooster crow off into the distance. And Peter is just beside himself. Matthew chapter 26, verse 75 says, Peter, whenever he heard the rooster, he says, says that he remembered the words Jesus had spoken and he wept bitterly. So as we jump into this, I want you to imagine just the weight and the guilt that Peter's feeling. All right. Jesus is resurrected, but he still knows what he did. And he's still feeling the weight, still feeling the embarrassment, still feeling the shame of that. And what we're going to see today, and again, our last sermon in this series, just like we've done every single week, we're going to, yes, it's a story about Peter, but really we're going to zoom in on Jesus. We're going to see what he's doing, what he's saying, and how that's affecting everybody around him. And what we're going to see, I think, is we're going to be encouraged maybe in our own guilt, in our own embarrassment that maybe you've been carrying around for years. Before we jump into our text, I want us to pray. And so I'll pray for all of us and you just pray for yourself in this moment. God, would you do what only you can do and that's speak to our hearts in, in, this, in this moment and through your text. I pray that you would just illuminate things that we need to see and hear. God, would you help us to clearly see Jesus and his character, his grace and his love and his forgiveness. And God, if there's any guilt or embarrassment or shame that we've been carrying, would you help us today to see how you step into that and how you restore? We're listening and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, John chapter 21, start in verse 15 with me. It says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch your 
stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Let's stop there and, and let's just discuss what's, what's happening in this, in this passage. There's a few things happening that I want to show you this morning. And, and the first thing that we see is just this warm welcome by Jesus. So if you were to back up and you were to read all of chapter 21, you're going to see that, again, Jesus has resurrected from the dead and he's revealing himself in, in various ways to different people. John tells us in this passage that this interaction is the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. And what's happened is Peter has said, I'm going fishing. And this is, several of the disciples go with him. They're out in a boat. They're not catching anything. And then Jesus from the bank starts talking to them. They realize that it's, that it's him. And somebody says, it's the Lord. And then what happens is Peter says, jumps into the water, even though John, I think it's kind of funny, he says, even though we weren't that far from land, you know? And so Peter just jumps in, he's excited. He, he jumps into the water and swims. And when he gets there, look at verse 12. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Come, come and have breakfast. I want you to see that. And I want you to picture Jesus there on the bank. Like, can, can you see him as he's saying that? I think he's got a smile on his face, you know. I think he's, he's smiling as he's welcoming Peter in, as he's swimming to, to shore. Jesus has made a campfire, and, and he's, he's, he's saying, just come and have breakfast with me. It's a chilly morning, but there is warmth in the fire, and there's warmth in Jesus' welcome. I don't know if you've ever been camping or, or something like that, but it's pretty hard to be upset whenever you're sitting around a campfire having breakfast, you know what I mean? And that's what's happening here. This is, this is friendly. This is warm. That's Jesus' welcome. It's a very warm welcome. But again, think about all the weight and all the guilt that Peter is carrying. Right? He still knows what he did. But now think about how disarming it is for Jesus to say, hey, I made you breakfast. I made you some breakfast. Listen, we've all, we've all carried the weight of guilt or embarrassment. And, and again, maybe you're carrying it now. Like you messed up and you know it and maybe it was very public and others know it or maybe it was private and only you know it, but the guilt and the embarrassment is there. If you, in your mind, imagine a God who is standing with a scowl on his face, arms crossed whenever you've let him down, I want you to, in this moment, Replace that image in your mind with a picture of Jesus sitting around a campfire making breakfast. Because that's what he's doing. He's making breakfast. He's smiling. He's actually happy to see you. And so from the beginning in this text, verse 15 says, when they had eaten breakfast. So, so from the beginning, Jesus is setting the tone for the rest of this interaction. Like for the rest of this conversation, Jesus is setting the tone by making some breakfast and just kind of taking the edge off of, of whatever it is that Peter is feeling. It's, he's, he's, he's inviting him in in a very warm and a very kind type of way because that's what Jesus does, right? So it's a warm welcome. Second thing I think that we see is we see caring correction. Caring correction. That's what all the questioning is, is, is about there in this moment. 
So we know that this probably isn't the first time that Peter sees Jesus after the resurrection. You might be tempted to think that, that Peter's so excited because he hasn't seen Jesus yet and he just needs to get to him. But, but we're told in other passages, Luke chapter 24, verse 34, and 1 Corinthians 15, 5, that says that Jesus appeared first to Cephas, which is Peter, and then all of the disciples. And so, so apparently, Peter was one of the first to see Jesus. And it's not hard to imagine that in that interaction, Jesus or Peter would have said, Lord, I, I'm sorry for what I did. Like, forgive me for, for what I've done. And so, like, we, we can imagine, we know that sin was, was forgiven. In fact, that's what Christ did on the cross. He, he comes to, to forgive sin, to, to wipe away the penalty of, of sin. And, and everybody who comes to Christ asking and seeking forgiveness will find it. And so in this moment, like from a legal point of view, Peter's declared blameless. His record was wiped clean, right? That's what the cross and empty grave accomplished for him. So it's not like this moment Jesus is, is having to wipe that away from him in, in some kind of way. Psalm 103, 12 says that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, right? And, and so his, his sin, like the, 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 the guilt of it has been wiped away as far as the east is from the west, which you know, never touch each other. If you, you keep going east, you just keep on going east. You know what I mean? They're never gonna touch. But that doesn't mean that the memories and the pain aren't still there. And so Jesus does what Jesus does, and he steps into the pain. We've seen him do it all throughout this series, right? Jesus stepping into the pain. And so in this moment, Jesus is clearly correcting the wrong. Like Peter did a wrong thing. And so Jesus is, is reversing it. He's setting things back the right way. How do I know that? Well. There's a ton of symbolism happening here. There's a ton of different things. First, there's the charcoal fire, which is very specific, isn't it? Like John specifically mentions the charcoal fire. In fact, there's only two times in the entire book of John that he mentions a charcoal fire. And it's here at the breakfast, and it's in chapter 18 at the scene of Peter's denial. Those two times, John tells us there was a charcoal fire. John 18, 18 says, now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves and Peter was standing with them warming himself. And it's standing around that fire that Peter is gonna deny Jesus three times. He's gonna say, I don't know the man. I'm not a follower of his. Three different times around that fire. And then verse 27 of chapter 18 says, Peter denied it again and immediately a rooster crowed. And he remembers what Jesus said was going to happen. But even the smell in the air of the charcoal fire would have been a reminder for Peter of the night that he stood around a fire and denied Jesus. So even though Jesus is welcoming him, welcoming him in warmly and it's kind and he's making him breakfast, even just the smell of the fire is gonna be kind of a trigger in his mind to remember the night that he denied Jesus three times. But now, standing around this charcoal fire, Jesus is gonna correct the wrong. And from this moment on, now the smell of charcoal is gonna be a reminder, not of his denial, but it's gonna be a reminder of the forgiveness of Jesus. And so there's symbolism in even just the fire. And then Jesus goes on and asks him three questions. There's, 
There's three questions, just like there was three denials. So the three denials are reversed by these three statements of love. And, and what you need to know is like, this isn't Jesus doing some kind of magic voodoo type of spell. Like, okay, you, you said three times, now we gotta do three times to cancel them out or something like that. I think what he's doing is Jesus is wanting Peter and all those who are standing around to hear the statements. Jesus doesn't need those statements canceled out. He needs Peter to hear that those statements are canceled out. Does it make sense? He needs Peter to, to hear it, that, that the statements are being replaced because there was brokenness. There was sin. Peter clearly sinned, but Jesus isn't going to leave it broken. That's what he's, that's what he's doing here. There's brokenness. Jesus doesn't leave it broken. That's what he does for us as well. That's, that's the message of the gospel is that our sin has broken us. Like we are broken by sin and shame and death and all of these different things because of our sin nature, but Jesus comes and he dies a death that we should have died. He, he raises from the dead and he fixes the brokenness of our sin with his, with his life. He, he reverses the curse. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, right? That where, O death, is your victory, where, O death, is your sting, the curse of death is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through Christ Jesus, right? That's what he came to do. He reversed the curse of our brokenness. And here, that is what he's doing as well. And the invitation is the same for us. That's been the whole point of the book of John. I've told you every week, right? John 20, 31. Uh, John says, I'm writing all of this to you. Why? So that you'll believe. Like reader, <laughs> I'm writing these things for the reader to believe. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you, the reader, would have life in his name. That's, that's the purpose of what he is doing here. And so some of us, I think, need to do that today. Like you've been following here throughout this series and you've heard about the depth of the love of Jesus, but today it's time to trust him. Just like Peter is verbally speaking out and committing his love for Jesus, it's time for you to verbally commit yourself to him. Whenever John says, I'm writing so that you would believe, like you need to know that believe doesn't just mean head knowledge. Like, yeah, I believe that to be true. Like, yeah, I believe that there is a North Pole out there, but it really does nothing for my life. Uh, scripture talks about how even demons know that God exists, so it can't just be talking about head knowledge. It's talking about placing your whole life in his hands and saying, my life is yours. And so what I would ask is, have you ever had a moment of doing that? I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about doing different things around Jesus or knowing a little bit about him. I'm asking, have you ever believed in him with your whole life? Well, the invitation is today you can do that. Today you can. He's done everything necessary for you to experience life in his name. So there's, there's a caring correction. Finally, I think we see a pivotal purpose. Pivotal purpose. And I realize like I'm, I'm giving you, you know, three points and they're all in alliteration and I don't typically like to do that because it's kind of corny preacher thing to do, but maybe it'll help you remember uh, what's happening here in this text. So there's a pivotal purpose. Whenever I think of pivot, 
What do you think of? Do you think of friends? I, I bet you did, especially the way I just said that, right? Pivot. I also think of basketball. I've been teaching my kids, um, my son especially, how to play basketball. And, and you know what a pivot is, right? You keep your pivot foot down and, and you're able to kind of spin and turn and you can face the other direction and different things like that. That's exactly what this, this pivot is here in this moment as well. It's a change of direction. Like Jesus had said to Peter back in Matthew chapter 16, he says, you are Peter and on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. Like that's big. I'm gonna build my church on you and the gates of hell are not gonna prevail against it. You know, what a calling, what a purpose. So what now? <laughs> like after this denial, after, Jesus, after Peter has turned his back on Jesus, what happens to that kind of calling? Others know that he denied Jesus. He can't stop thinking about it. And it seems like maybe he's just given up on this purpose. Like he's like, I'm just going back to fishing. That's what he was doing before Jesus called him. I'm just going, I'm just gonna go back to fishing, I guess, because I've screwed this whole thing up. Like how's he gonna build the church on somebody who's denied him three times to a slave girl outside while Jesus is being uh, put on trial before he's crucified? Like how can he build the church on me, right? And so now in this moment, this pivotal moment, Jesus needs to make sure that everyone, including Peter, knows that the plan is still on. What he, what he planned for him in Matthew chapter 16, that he's gonna build his church, that plan is still on. And what, what Jesus is doing here in this passage is, is, is he's saying, we're, we're gonna pivot from the embarrassment, from the guilt, from the fishing boat, and we're gonna turn back to the calling that I have for your life. And Jesus reaffirms the calling of Peter here three times. There's three affirmations of love and there's three affirmations of his calling. Three times, Jesus says, then take care of my sheep. All right, three times, take care of my sheep, which we understand to mean the church, shepherding the church. And so there's a direct meaning when Jesus says this. Like, listen, this passage is kind of difficult to break down and preach and apply because he is specifically talking to Peter. <laughs> he says, you're gonna feed my sheep and shepherd them and, and even tells him exactly how he's going to die. Like this is very much talking to Peter. So the direct meaning here is for Peter and, and what he's saying is, is Peter's gonna go on and he, he's gonna start and lead the first church and he, and he does that. Like open up the book of Acts, you're gonna see Peter standing there boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus, pointing his finger at the people who crucified Jesus, saying, you did it, repent and believe, and at the first altar call ever, like 3,000 people come forward. It's crazy. And that's the start of the first church. And he's gonna go on and he's gonna pastor this church, most scholars say, another 30 to 40 years after this moment, okay? So that's the direct meaning. There is an indirect meaning for pastors. Pastors are are shepherds of a flock of, of people, right? And this clearly shows us that pastors are to lead in love and pastors are to remember that this is Christ's church. Like several times he says, feed my sheep. Like the church is his, pastors just lead in love. But then there's also some implications for all of us. Every Christian is a minister. You know that, right? If you're a Christian, you are a minister of the gospel. 
And so whether you stand on a stage or whether you sit quietly on the back row, if you're gonna do any single solitary thing for Christ in this life, it's gotta be built on love. It's built on love for people and love for Christ. Even though he knows and you know that you've let him down plenty of times, he still says, you've got a job to do. You've got a job to do. And more than that, more than just you've got a job to do, he trusts you with his work. <laughs> like, think about that. This is, this is his work and his, his job, and he's going to trust us to do it. Like, my, my son Dax is seven, and he's always asking me if he can help me mow the yard. And I won't let him do it yet because I like my lines straight and I like everything clean, you know. One day, he'll, he'll be able to help me, but right now I just don't trust him to do it in that way just yet. But Jesus is different. He completely trusts us with his work. See, I think Jesus actually believes in us more than sometimes we believe in ourselves. And he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows everything about you. He knows every failure, right? But he believes in you. And what he tells Peter is he says, follow me. Like, you gotta see it. He's reaffirming his calling. This is a, this is a pivotal moment. It's a pivotal moment. And I think Jesus has at least two purposes here in this moment. One, he needs everyone standing around to hear this interaction. Like, he needs everybody else to be able to trust Peter, who, again, is the guy he's gonna build his church on. Because by this point, everyone knows what Peter has done. And if he's gonna be the leader of the church, the leader of the Christian movement once Jesus is gone, they need to be able to have some confidence in him. You know, has he lost all credibility? That's why Jesus needs them to see this moment. And he needs Peter to be reaffirmed. Right, so that's what he's doing here. It's so others will know and also so that Peter will know. Again, don't, don't miss what, what Jesus is doing here. Jesus still believes in him. Think about what that must have meant for Peter. Think about what that must have meant to him. Even though he has likely given up on himself, sees himself only as a failure and just thought, forget it, man. I, I'm, I'm bad at this Jesus thing. I'm just gonna go back fishing. Jesus doesn't allow him to, to do that. Jesus says, nope, follow me, feed my sheep. I told you that I was gonna build my church on you and I meant it, so let's go. This moment is a, is a game-changing moment for Peter. In fact, like, this moment sets the tone for the rest of Peter's life and his ministry. It's such a pivotal moment that he even quotes Jesus and this whole experience years later in 1 Peter chapter five, when he is writing to the pastors and the elders of the church, Peter says in 1 Peter five to the pastors, he says, shepherd God's flock. That sound familiar? Shepherd God's flock amongst you because the chief shepherd is coming. Like he, he's recognizing, we just love his people in the way that he's called us to do. And then he says in 1 Peter five, and remember that he's good. Remember that he restores. Remember that he establishes and strengthens and supports you. That all comes from 1 Peter 5, and he's heard all of that, and he's experienced that firsthand from Jesus on a chilly morning on the bank of the Sea of Galilee. 
here in John chapter 21. It's a pivotal moment. Changes everything about him for the next 30, 40 years of ministry. So that's the story of Peter's restoration. And it's, it's an interesting way to close out a book, isn't it? Interesting way to close out a series and for John to end his book this way. Like this book is not written how we, uh, how we like our stories to be written. It's not written how, how teachers will teach us to write papers, you know, introduction, clear conclusion, put your thesis up in the introduction. He puts his thesis 20 chapters into his book, 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 31, you know. So like it's, it's laid out differently. And that's because John's telling us a story and that story's not over. It's not over, like literally turn the page and you're gonna find the book of Acts and you're gonna see Peter continuing to do ministry, right? Just incredible stuff. He's doing, like, like I said, 3,000 people in the first day make up the first church. He's being thrown in prison and they're like, hey, you gotta stop talking about Jesus and he's like, I can't do that and so he just keeps on going and doing. He's seeing people be martyred. He's seeing a guy named Paul or actually it was Saul who was literally killing Christians turned to Jesus. Like this is all stuff that Peter's a part of here. He sees the gospel go from the Jews to the Gentiles. Just incredible stuff. And you're like, that's great, but I'm still sitting here dealing with the guilt and the embarrassment of my past. Or I'm still sitting here dealing with real world stuff. I want you to remember that Peter was just a dude. Just like me and just like you. He's just, a, he's just a guy. And he had struggles clearly and he had pain clearly that were met by Jesus. Just, just like us. And again, he's gonna live another 30 plus years doing ministry. But every morning, he's gonna hear a rooster crow. And it's gonna be the, the sound and the remembrance of guilt and pain and embarrassment. But then every morning, he's gonna get up and he's gonna eat breakfast. And he's gonna be reminded of the grace and the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. And he's gonna be reminded of his calling. And then after breakfast, he's gonna go out and feed the sheep because that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so as we close this series, don't miss the beauty of what Jesus did for Peter here on this chilly morning on the banks of the Sea of Galilee because it's the same thing he wants to do for you. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.